Welcome to Opportuna Obscura, where two friends talk about current events in their pajamas. That is not necessarily true every time. Yep. Well, not every time, but today it is. My name is Karen. I'm Casey. And today we are going to talk about something that one of our fans sent us, and then Casey's going to talk about Ukraine a little bit. So our listener's pick comes from Darwin's Deviations. And what they sent us is an article from sciencealert.com titled, These Water Beetles Make Their Escape Out of a Frog's Butt After Being Swallowed. Disgusting. Yes. So we are talking about the water scavenger beetle. <laughs> That's another name that Karen can't pronounce. Let's see. Red Jim Bartia Atenuta. Nuata. Atenuata. Regimbartia atenuata. These beetles are often found <laughs> as pests in fish hatcheries, and they are well suited to be in humid tropics. So this beetle has adapted a way to survive being eaten by a frog. Honestly, just let me die. <laughs> I'm not I don't want to go through the intestinal tract. Like, this is not what I'm about. Same thing with the zombie apocalypse. I want to be one of the first people taken out. I'm not surviving in the woods. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm telling you right now, I'm a creature. I'm a comfort creature, a creature of comfort, whatever way you want to phrase it. I'm not. No. I mean, it would kind of be like going back to the womb, right? I mean, some people want no. that. It's like being- Stomach acid. Being You don't have stomach acid in the womb. And you also don't come out of your mother's butt. Okay. <laughs> going out with the junk from Star Wars. Like, you know, when they crush everything and, you know, they almost get crushed and they're yeah, almost evacuated. Yeah. That's that's the way you're going out. You're not being deployed in a spaceship. You're about to go out with people's discarded toilet paper and napkins. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so these beetles have the ability to wiggle out of, I think it was nine different species of... That's disgusting. No, it's five different species of frog butt. No. Yep. And you were right. They go through the digestive tract. So they go through the stomach. 90% of these beetles, when studied, were excreted about six hours after being eaten and they were alive. So only 10% died. Oh, okay. Yeah. So not completely foolproof. You don't want to make this like your, your goal to be swallowed by a frog. You want to avoid it. You do. You do. There was an experiment that was set up, and it was set up for the frogs to eat these beetles. And then the scientist recorded how long it took the beetles to emerge from the other end. The back end. Yeah, I think we gathered that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to make a butt joke. <laughs> so some of them were pretty speedy. One came out in under seven minutes. Ew. Yeah. So one of the um, most disturbing parts of this Beatles trip or voyage, if you will, that grossed me out the absolute most is that when the beetle gets all the way to the end, so, you know, they're just inside, they have to stimulate the vent. Okay, the so speak. they're in the rectal cavity. Yes. They have to stimulate it, meaning they have to, like, use their little their little beetle legs to, like, tickle the butthole open so that they can Ugh. come out. Yep. Yep, tickle their way out. Thank you. I, I think I got it the first time. Yep. 
Thank you, Darwin's Deviations, for this fanfic. We, we do heart you. I, I'm just, you know, my lunch might be coming a little up right now. Yep. So they did make these specific adaptations for these journeys, which allows them to survive the extreme pH and no oxygen for that amount of time. Because yep. those are what normally kill frog food, because they eat their food alive. Mm-hmm. So normally they are killed by the acid, like Casey was talking about, or they suffocate. But somehow they have adapted to survive such things. Imagine being the frog. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, yeah. I thought I ate you. God damn it, get back in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, why is my poop wiggling? Mm. <laughs> well, thanks for that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Thank you, Darwin's deviations, for this delightful deviation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to talk about Mira. Have you ever heard of Mira? No. Sweet. So I'm going to tell you about something you don't know about. I'm excited. So the first article I'm going to reference is Antonov-225 Mira, the successful Soviet cargo plane with five facts. So Mira is the largest airplane ever built. Okay. It has a wingspan of an American football field, and it is six stories tall. So it's a huge-ass building. So it's a flying building, essentially. Cool. The name Mira means dream in Ukrainian, and it's been used for cargo for like the last 30 years. It was built within the Soviet Union during the 1980s under the leadership of Russian engineer Viktor Tomashev. This plane is the improved version of the successful Anatov AN-124, which was a four-engine cargo plane with a similar design to this plane, but Mira has six engines. I think you would need at least six engines to uh, fly a building. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, its first like goal was to carry the Soviet space shuttle back from where it landed when it came down from space to their home base for the space shuttle. Okay, and then eventually it was refurbished and reintroduced and became a commercial service provider plane or a plane doing commercial service, known for specifically being able to handle the heaviest loads that ever need to be transported via plane, because basically it's like a flying building. Yeah, for sure. So when it was commercial, was it transporting freight or was it transporting, like, people? Freight. Freight. Okay. Mm-hmm. It actually, as recently as, like, last year, was really integral in um, providing COVID-19 relief and oh. delivering PPE. Amazing. Awesome. The aircraft has a range of 15,400 kilometers, and when it's fully loaded, it can get about 4,500 kilometers. And it has a maximum payload weight of 250 tons. 250 tons is what it can carry. I can't even imagine what that is. A quote from this article, having been built during the Soviet era, when aircraft technology was still under development, the old cockpit requires pilots and extra flight engineers to operate the aircraft. The cockpit panels are painted green in the typical Soviet style found on many airlines and cargo aircraft. The unique cockpit contains different parts and has an analog display rather than digital. So this thing is still running analog. Well, it's old. Mm-hmm. And a quote for that part and then a new quote for this part. It says, the total fuel capacity of the aircraft is about 300 tons and burns 15.9 tons of fuel per hour. The maximum speed of the AN-225 is about 850 kilometers per hour, which we kind of like alluded to 
planes being really fast in our aviation episode. So that shouldn't really come as a surprise to either of us. That is just a lot of fuel. So it's extremely expensive to fly this thing. Yes. Well, it's a good thing Ukraine has like their own source of fuel. Another quote from the article, according to aircraft engineers, the 16 pairs of landing wheels should be changed every 90 landings. And they the wheels are specifically made for the AN-225. The cost of one tire is $1,000. Wow. I believe that's US dollars. So That's a lot of rubber. To end the portion of my segment that is referencing this article, the plane only makes a couple trips a year, and it's not because of age, obviously. It's just really expensive to, <laughs> to get it off the ground. And it costs $30,000 an hour to, to run this plane. God damn. And this is one of those planes that's so big that instead of like having a door that you like go in and you make a left to go to the cockpit, you know, when you're boarding a plane, Mm -hmm. they just lift up the entire nose. The nose just lifts up in the air and then they can roll like giant freights into it from the front. Wow. So it doesn't have like the thing in the back where, you know, like, I don't know what's called. The ramp comes down. Uh huh. That's nuts. That's nuts. Oh, and just so you're aware... And I know you asked this, but to my knowledge, they haven't really been transporting people in it, but it could accommodate 3,000 people. Okay, cool. Just another fun fact that they were planning on building a second one, but with this, when the Soviet Union collapsed, they basically abandoned that project. So Mira was one of a kind. Interesting. And I'm going to include a documentary I watched about it in our show description. If anyone wants to go watch it, it's free on YouTube. It's about 50 minutes. Definitely dives way further into information about Mira. Pivoting on over to another article about Mira. This one is called Ukrainian officials say the world's largest aircraft, Antonov AN-225, has been destroyed. Oh. The plane was undergoing maintenance in an airfield near Kiev, and very early when the Russians attacked Ukraine, it was destroyed. And it was destroyed because it was undergoing routine maintenance for one of its engines, and they were told, hey, you need to get out of there. You need to fly out of there to protect the plane. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's like that plane is huge for the Ukrainian forces because of what it can transport as far as getting refugees out there, out of the country, like people who are fleeing, mm-hmm. and then getting necessary things into the country. But they didn't have enough time to, I guess, put the engine back on, and it was destroyed. Oh. And that happened on March 3rd, so three days ago. Some other information from this article was that, like I said, the... Aircraft was parked in an airfield near the capital city of Kiev when Russian forces attacked it. Quote, Russia may have destroyed our Mira, but they will never be able to destroy our dream of a strong, free, and democratic European state. We shall prevail. And that was a quote by the Ukrainian foreign minister, Dmitry Kuliba. And he did that. He said that on Twitter. I mean, I guess it makes sense for Russia to go after that plane basically first because it's such a huge asset, literally a huge asset. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it can transport so much, including 3,000 people. It can, you know, transport like large freights. It could probably bring a lot of things into the Ukraine to help with the war, you know, the defense of Ukraine. It could really quickly move some tanks. That too. I really hate what's happening over there right now. I think pretty much everyone does. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we are um, unique in our feelings about this. Um, no. I also heard a um, a soldier, a Russian soldier speaking yesterday. He was a captured soldier. And basically, he was saying that the soldiers were tricked, that they were... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were going to provide aid, or they were told they were going to provide aid. And then when they got there, that's not what they were doing. 
I heard training exercise. I heard they were told that they were freeing the Ukrainians from Nazi rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were basically lied to. And I mean, I'm sure people knew what was going on. Some people did. But, you know, when you're an 18-year-old kid who just joined the military, like, who's telling you what's really going on? And when Russia controls their own media, how are you getting the information outside of what you're being told by your own country? And how many of those kids who were lied to are now dead? Heard the casualties for the Russians are really bad. I have. Like 6,000 is the last number I heard. It's so senseless. One final thing from this article, which is from Smithsonian Magazine. In 2010, the plane was used to deliver relief supplies to those affected by the 7.0 magnitude earthquake that devastated Haiti. Mm -hmm. And then, as I've already spoken to, it's been vital in transporting medical supplies to various areas, not just the Ukraine, during the coronavirus pandemic. Mm -hmm. So not only did the Ukraine lose a valuable asset, but the world did as well. (sighs) So my final article and... I'd like to highlight that we are focusing on this individual, but I am well aware that there are a lot of different heroes within the Ukraine conflict. One person that we did want to spotlight and just talk about very briefly was their incredible leader. I wholeheartedly believe he is a hero, and I've never seen anybody in a situation like this do better than he's done. So this information is from an article by the Washington Post. It's titled, What to Know About Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's TV President Turned Wartime Leader. This is by Brian Patesh and Sammy Westfall. This came out March 1st and updated March 2nd. So again, very recent. (laughs) So who is Zelensky? He is a 44-year-old former comedian, TV personality, and actor. He is now the Ukrainian head of state. He was born in central Ukraine, and was raised in a Soviet Jewish family. So all the, hey, we're going to go save the Ukrainians from the Nazis is bullshit. Mm -hmm. They literally have a Jewish president. So don't even come at me with that bullshit. Yeah. Also, a number of his relatives were killed by Nazis during the Holocaust. Turns out his grandfather was one of four brothers, the only one of four brothers to survive the German occupation of Ukraine. It's heartbreaking. So to even allude that this man is a Nazi, I think is just the biggest crock of bull. Yeah, I don't know what Russia was telling their people. I mean, their people might not even have any idea who Zelensky is, because Putin controls their media. Since the beginning of the war, and probably well before that, Zelensky became the Kremlin's number one target. He has refused to flee Ukraine, despite being offered by the United States, and I'm not sure if other countries have. I'm sure someone else has. I don't think we're the only ones oh, have yeah. offered to evacuate him. I bet. But yeah. I believe his exact words were, I need ammunition, not a ride. God damn. Um, he's so good at the one-liners. He's he's so good at communicating. Like I agree. And you see him like sitting with the press, not at the podium. He grabs a seat by himself. No one's carrying it for him. Mm-hmm. He goes and sits down with the press. He has like these honest conversations, open communication. Mm-hmm. In a truly terrifying addition to him being target number one, his family is target number two. Yeah. And I hope they're safe. Zelensky graduated from Kiev's National Economic University in 2000 with a law degree. So he's a lawyer. Huh. And then but he soon after, a comedian. Yep. Soon after, he started participating in comedy competitions and he appeared on TV. He co founded a production company and then he rose to fame as an actor in a show called Servant of the People, where he played a teacher that eventually was elected Ukraine's president. It was a satire, and that premiered in 2015. Mm -hmm. Then, 
in 2019, he won the actual presidency of Ukraine. So Zelensky was elected president on April 21st, 2019. Mm. I guess he first came to broader U.S. visibility when former President Donald Trump <laughs> was on a phone call with him and urged him to launch a investigation into Joe Biden's son, Hunter, mm. who was on a board for a Ukrainian energy company. Trump promptly uh, ordered $400 million in military aid for Ukraine to be withheld. And that was released two months later. But if you think about it, this happened in 2019. This was probably when Russia was building up to attack and Ukraine could have really used that money and help to protect their borders and everything. Basically help them in advance, you know, prep for things. But they had to wait two months for that because Trump. Now, Zelensky wasn't always as popular with the Ukrainian people as he is now. In fact, in the time before the Russian invasion began, his popularity as president was waning. He was criticized for failing to push through anti-corruption reforms. Some Ukrainians viewed him as weak when standing up to Putin. And I think I even read something that said that he was kind of downplaying in the weeks before the invasion whether it was actually going to occur. Now, I don't know if that's because he was trying to keep people from panicking or he was not getting the intelligence to say, hey, this actually is going to happen, or whatever it may be. Like, I'm not inside the man's head. Yeah. But there were a few things that had people criticizing him, but I think presidents get criticized all the time before the Russians invaded Ukraine. Mm. So in the days since the invasion, Zelensky has been seen on the front lines with his soldiers. He has been seen throughout Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine, with his advisors. I don't know if it's called a cabinet in Ukraine. Yeah, I don't know. And he's both appealed to the European Union and NATO and many other countries throughout the world for help in helping defend Ukraine. And because of his strong passion for his country, a lot of sanctions that wouldn't have been normally like pushed through so quickly or them being added to the European Union so quickly, like it just doesn't happen at that speed, mm-hmm. have been like basically fast tracked. Now, there are a lot of other heroes within Ukraine. There was an individual who actually died in the line of action when he blew up a bridge to stop the Russians from proceeding further into Ukraine at the beginning of the invasion. Mm. There are a lot of Ukrainians who are not in the military who have chosen to stay behind and defend their country. Mm. I've seen videos online of Ukrainian farmers stealing tanks. So that, you know, the Russians don't have it. There's There's been a lot of acts of bravery. Everyone's pitching in. Everyone's doing what they can. A lot of horrific things are happening. Yeah. And the Ukrainians, I mean, you have you have our thoughts, prayers, and, you know, we're thinking about you. Yes. Yeah, we are. And that is what I have on Ukraine. Now, the rest of the information on the conflict and why it's happening, I'm going to leave for the historians and professionals. Mm-hmm. But you should definitely look further into it because it's important that we know what's going on in the world, especially when something so horrific is happening right like right now. Um, there is a podcast called Pod Save America. It is liberal leaning if anybody has an issue with that. But they're doing a really good job of covering the conflict in Ukraine and how America is reacting to it. Just if you want more information there. All right. Well, should we round this out then? So, um, kind of a, kind of a heavy ending, but, yeah. uh, you know, we can't not speak about what's happening over in Ukraine. So no. thanks for joining us for this episode of Opportuna Obscura. 
Um, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us at eothepodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram. It's called Encyclopedia Obscura. And we have a Twitter handle. So tweet us and let us know your weird, mysterious, or obscure ideas for a future episode. My name is Casey. I'm Karen. And thank you for joining us for Opportunity Obscura.